and gentlemen, welcome to the Walk Show Podcast. This is your host, Walker Near. On today's show, I discuss the book The Power of Habit with Misha Zarens. Misha has some personal insight into the concept of habit, both through finding a way to overcome uh, depression and anxiety in his youth, and then also accomplishing some significant personal goals in recent years. It's a really fun conversation, and I think that you guys will really enjoy it. Before we hop into that discussion, I want to share a relevant tool quote <laughs> to the conversation. Uh, this one actually comes from the track Invincible on the latest album, Fear Inoculum. The lyrics are, Tears in my eyes, chasing Ponce de Leon's phantom. So filled with hope, I can taste mythical fountains. False hope, perhaps, but the truth never got in my way. Before now, feel the sting, feeling time bearing down. I really like the false hope, perhaps, but the truth never got in my way before now. Feel the sting, feel, feeling time bearing down. I like that little section because it really speaks to this idea that I counter often and, and really especially within myself where, you know, I have thoughts like, oh, can I really do this or can I really change or am I really capable? And I guess just kind of the idea that my my hope is false but but that in itself is actually a falsehood, right? Like the negative self-talk is already false. So since I've been willing to tell myself these negative falsehoods, such as I'm not good enough, I may as well actually just jump in to telling myself positive things, even if I you know don't necessarily believe them to be true. Because um, again, I, I'm already saying things to myself that aren't true. So so the the truth hasn't ever gotten in my way before. Now is is I guess my point. Um, and then the end of it, you know, time is not infinite and, and limiting myself and, and my own happiness because I think I'm some warrior for the truth is, is just frankly, you know, kind of absurd. Uh, anyway, that that's kind of the, the tool quote of the week for you there. So I highly recommend the album Fear Inoculum and, and Invincible is a, a wonderful track that, that I really enjoy. Um, as always, the music for this week's episode is produced by Misha Zarens. And uh, yeah, let's jump into the conversation with Misha. Hey Misha, what's up, man? Welcome to the show. What's going on, man? Not a lot, huh? Um, so, something I wanted to talk to you about is I, I recently finished reading this book called The Power of Habit. Uh, I don't know who it's by, I'd have to look it up, but <laughs> it's on Kindle, so I don't see the cover very often. Oh, okay, yeah. But, um, anyway, it's a really, really interesting book that, that actually, for me, has connected kind of a lot of dots of other things that I've talked about on this show recently and, and just other books I've read recently. But so the power of habit talks about how um, it starts out talking about like individuals and how like it and how how habits actually work in the brain and like even is is goes as far as to explain like what part of the brain sure. habits are actually stored in yeah and and really tries to be very scientific in its explanation of how all that works cool and then tells some individual stories. Um, like it tells a story of this guy who kind of, I don't know, I, I think he had a head injury if I remember correctly, but, but regardless, basically he was like an Alzheimer's patient. I don't know if he, had, I don't remember if he had Alzheimer's or not, but, okay. uh, you people can read the book if you're interested. Uh, <laughs> so, but anyway, he, he, so he can't, he can't remember anything. Like he, like he's had this 
he lives with this symptom for like 20 years and the whole time thinks that he's the age that he was when it started, you know, because he just doesn't have a memory past that point really. Yeah. Um, so like his daughter will come to visit and she'll stop and talk to him and then go in the other room and talk to her mom and then she'll leave and he'll get offended because he thinks that she didn't talk to him. Yeah. You know, cause he just sees her leaving and doesn't remember. So it's that significant. Uh, yeah. Okay. Or that, that big of a deal. Oh, awesome. It is. Um, but he can like, he goes for walks every day and goes and walks around the block, but he can't tell you which house is his, but he always gets home. Hmm. Okay. But it's because it's because of the habits. It's because yeah. there's these little cues that he's not even consciously considering of course. that tell him how to get to his house that he can't really replicate and explain. Yeah. Um, and they do a bunch of tests within these doctors to try and understand how his mind is working and Anyway, so it, it, it just is trying to illustrate, like, again, how how ingrained habits actually are and how powerful they are, even independent of you being able to consciously think and, and rationalize things. Um, or it shares this story about a, a girl who has chewed her fingernails chronically for her whole life. And... Like, to the point where she, like, she can't get dates because she goes on a date and then, like, inevitably is chewing her fingernails and it's, like, oh very God. bizarre, ah, you know? That's awful. And so, in the book, they talk about how, you know, habits are really, like, there's a cue and then there's uh, an a- action and then there's a result. Mm-hmm. And so, th- and that's the, the loop of the habit. And so, like, in that girl's example, she works with a doctor and they, they kind of, they go backwards to understand like well what is it that you're really trying to why when you chew your fingernails what are you what's the actual cue for that and so they have her like take a week and every time she wants to do it write down what she's feeling or whatever and so she comes to realize that actually what happens is she just gets bored and chewing her fingernails is a habit that she's developed that's like this ability to uh to do something that's stimulating basically and so that that's really all it is. And so then once she figures that out, then she understands when that trigger, that cue happens, she's able to replace the behavior, and within a month, she doesn't chew her fingernails anymore. Yeah. yeah. So also, the book kind of demonstrates how malleable habits are, even if they're really long-term habits. Um, and there's a, there's a few other examples in that part, but that's like the beginning of the book. And sorry, I'm just going to explain the book for a minute here, so <laughs> a little monologue, but... No, that's fascinating, um, so yeah. And it. so then it goes into like organizational, like, like, um, like in a more business corporate kind of sense, and how habits influence that arena. So it talks about um, like this aluminum company that's like an aluminum smelting processing company. And in the 80s, they get this new CEO, and... He insists on making safety the number one priority of the company. And everyone thinks he's crazy because, like, that's not... The CEO is there to bring in profit and increase the business, you know what I mean? Not to... (laughs) uh, Not to... not to, I mean, not that safety wouldn't be a priority, but to say that it's the, I mean, he goes into the shareholder meeting is like, this is our number one focus. This is the only thing we're going to focus yeah. on. I mean, in the company that I work for, that is a huge, like, campaign that they've made, like, sweepingly, overly well. It had some bad PR in the past couple of years. I'll just say sure. that. I'll leave it at that. Sure. I don't want to say specifically. Sure. But, like, that is a huge, like, concern. And mm-hmm. they want to make sure that, I mean, it costs 
the company money and they have to deal with it. So, you know, like I, I totally get it, but yeah, yeah, not to cut you off. No, 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 no. You're, you're welcome to interject. I didn't mean don't. No, no. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but anyway, so, you know, and this isn't, al- again, it's aluminum smelting. So there's, you know, molten metals and there's, it's just, it's just a dangerous environment. And it's not like people were dying left and right. So the rest of the company was kind of like, I don't know, man, I think there's just some assumed risk that comes with this kind of work, you know, like we're not going to be able to prevent all things. And he insists that no, that's not that's not true. And and what it does is a, it certainly reduces the company's liability and and whatever. But it also gets the workers to buy in a lot more because they feel like the company actually cares about their personal yes. safety, which right. is pretty yes. important to people, right? Yes. <laughs> so, so anyway, so they the the way the book explains it is it's, it's basically a um, a keystone habit is is what he calls the what they refer to as this habit of of this safety thing. And so as a result, though, of making safety this top priority, the, the side effect, if you will, of that is that it actually forces the company to completely redesign almost all of its processes. So now not only are they concerned about safety, but like equipment is updated and fixed and employees are really encouraged if there's an issue, shut the equipment down, report sure. the issue, you know, whereas before... Standardized work formats for how you're actually working, like you use these particular types of equipment to perform your job and right. safety glasses and helmets and all kinds of stuff. Right, right. And don't feel like if we're going to get behind on an order because the machine shuts down, like the priority is that we're safe, not that the order gets done, yes, which is right. inverse of how it was prior to that. Right. Um, but what it also does, because he requires that any safety issue, and this is a global company, any safety issue that happens, any incident that happens, he has to know about it the next morning. And if he doesn't know about it, he fires whoever the manager is that was over that. Wow. Well, so what? And he's a CEO. <laughs> so what that means is that the communication plan of the company completely changes because now, if there's an incident, the, su- the immediate supervisor has to know immediately. He has to be able to tell his boss, who has to be able to tell his boss up the chain. And that communication has to happen very quickly. So they had to redesign the way that they communicated with each other even, which certainly serves the purpose of the safety, but it also just actually streamlined communication for the, the whole company in every other capacity as well. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the company actually like becomes way more profitable than it ever was before and has this greater success and has no you know injuries and deaths anymore, yeah, <laughs> which is right, great. Right. Um, so anyway, that, that was just another kind of... That was one of the organizational... They also talk about the the retailer Target and how they hired this, uh, you know, mathematician or whatever, basically, who who looks for patterns in data. Sure. And I guess it turns out that, like, uh, parents of newborns are, like, the land of milk and honey for retailers because they're more, they're, they're, they're more willing to spend than any other time in their life, really. Oh, yeah, right. And because of all of the extra stuff that they now have on their plate, if they can get everything at one place, then they're likely to do that. So for a place like Walmart or Target that sells everything, yeah. that's the gold mine, right? Right. So they hire this guy to see, because they, at Target they actually have a guest profile, that they call it, for every customer. And they actually have him analyze the data to see if he can tell when women will be are are pregnant even if they have not announced this to anyone yet or you know it's not like they're telling the company uh and yeah and he's able to do that with like an 80 percent or 90 percent accuracy mm-hmm. that's awesome you know well before their due date yeah um 
but it's all through it's all through under, looking at their buying habits yeah, and seeing what kinds of things they're buying and how those habits change. And it's not like right. it's again he can tell when they're like in the first three months of pregnancy, so they're not buying diapers yet, mm-hmm. but they're buying like lotions and they're buying different vitamins, vitamins. and yeah, yeah, right. exactly. Yeah, of yep. So it's just little things like that. Well, then it turns out that the women are pretty upset that the company is like spying on them like that because that's kind of creepy and invasive. <laughs> So then the way that they solve that is they send they send targeted ads to these expecting mothers, except they just sprinkle in random stuff. So like they might have formula and diapers and you know onesies or I don't know whatever baby stuff there is. Yeah. I'm not a baby guy, as we all know. Um, <laughs> it, but then they also put they also <laughs> put in like lawnmowers and you know just complete camping gear, just completely unrelated stuff. So that way the ad looks like to the consumer that it's just a random smattering of products that they have on sale, but it's not, you know, but yeah. Um, so again, just another way of explaining like how, how significant habits actually are and how predictive things are through that. Um, and there's a couple other of examples. It, It talks about like this hospital and how it didn't have, it didn't have an intentional organizational habits, but habits are a thing where, whether you intend for them or not, you're going to have them, whether you're a person or an organization. And so in this hospital, they didn't set out to establish clear habits, so then bad habits emerged, and in a hospital, that's pretty fucked up because it it literally is life-and-death situations, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, But anyway, so it kind of explains how they, how you know, the problems that they encountered and how they got through that. And then towards the end of the book, it goes into... um, talking about like social movements and how like the civil rights movement specifically how that was influenced by habits and how that was in, and like how like Rosa Parks for example was not the first person to refuse to go on the back of the bus in Montgomery in that year you know other people had refused that but Rosa Parks uniquely had all these social ties across the community so when she was jailed all of these people kind of came to her defense that they otherwise wouldn't, you know, otherwise maybe wouldn't have for someone else. And how just all these little habits that people have socially can be incredibly powerful as well. Um, and then kind of the end of the book was interesting. It, it, it shared two stories where there's this woman who's a chronic gambler and like loses everything, goes bankrupt. Her parents die. She gets like a million dollar inheritance she starts having panic attacks about her parents dying, and she stopped gambling at this point, but then decides to go to a casino to try and get away from this anxiety of her parents being dead, and then ends up gambling away her entire inheritance. Not in one yeah. shot, but... Right, right. But so she goes to court, and they argue... Her defense argues that, that she's not in control. Like, these sure. are habits that she doesn't have control over, so she yeah. shouldn't be accountable. And the right. judge is like... She's shooting her fingernails. I mean, that's right. what she's doing. Right. Yeah. And the judge is like, you know, no, she's accountable. Well, then they tell the story of this guy in Britain who, uh, he's camping with his wife in an RV, and there's, like, some, some, like, I don't know, kids, I don't know, they're not children, though, like, young people, 20-somethings or, you know, whatever, that are, that they think, that this couple in the RV thinks are harassing them. So they, in the middle of the night, they move the RV to another location on the campsite to get away from these people. Well, then the guy wakes up, and one of the 20-somethings is in the RV and is on top of his wife. So he just starts choking the guy, and the, the attacker is, like, trying to resist him, and he just won't let go and doesn't let go till the guy stops moving. Well, then once the guy stops moving, he 
kind of comes to and realizes that there is no guy, and he just choked his wife to death. Oh, my God. Yeah. Wow. And calls 911 immediately and is like, oh, my God, I just killed my, you know, and, like, oh. beside himself, you know. Yeah. Well, it turns out he suffers from, it's kind of, it's like a cousin of sleepwalking, but it's actually called sleep terrors. And yeah, like night terrors. Yeah. Yeah, and so it's where, again, it's, it's like sleepwalking where you're not conscious except that you perceive that something really bad is happening mm -hmm. and then your habits kick in to like defend yourself or defend yeah, your loved one or whatever right sure. and and so he goes to court and he's actually acquitted and so then the book poses the question well why does that guy who's a murderer he's not accountable for his habit but then this woman who goes bankrupt is accountable for her habit that she can't control right uh, but the book concludes that, you know, at least this author, and I agree with his sentiment, that the reason that that is just is because the guy with the sleep terrors had no idea that that was possible, and so had no idea that that was even something to prepare for, so it wasn't really possible that he could have accounted right, for it. Right. He wasn't observing his actions as they were happening, and just being like, I have to, I can't believe this is happening, until it was the actual moment that did happen. Yeah, and I mean, he had had a history of sleepwalking for his whole life, yeah, right. but it had never manifested in something like that. Sure. So he just, there was no idea that like, hey, you need to be prepared to not, <laughs> you know, to lock yourself in your room or something until you're, I don't know, whatever, I don't know what remedy there would be, but, yeah. Um, but with the gambling addict, like, she knew for a long time that this was her issue and knew what the triggers were and whatever right and didn't actually really take any actions to try and fix it Well, and, and that's not really that the, yeah, to, I don't know. And and right. really the habit part of it was really the, like, the reactions he had to defend his his wife from the perceived attacker, you know? Yeah, right. And, like, again, yeah, I have no idea what the remedy for that could be even. Yeah, Because um, right. people suffer from sleep paralysis, too. Yeah. And perceive, like, like, actually visually seeing, like, demons and, like, aliens and, like, dark manifestations of objects and actually have physically like it feels like someone's sitting on their chest and like mm -hmm. holding them down like incredibly weird that you can have this imaginary experience as a result and then you know that's just i don't know i don't know how you like remedy that <laughs> yeah it's right. crazy right it's yeah i mean not to powerful. get off on a tangent and probably this will be offensive to some people and i don't mean it that way because i don't i, I don't actually claim to know either but that's actually why I'm I'm kind of skeptical of a lot of like re really religious or like kind of spiritual things yeah because to me it's like the or mind paranormal things which I guess you could love that kind of sure together. but yeah but it's like the the mystical type things but mm -hmm. it's like the mind is so powerful that people that have those experiences I don't think they're lying like I don't think they're no, making yeah. it up I right. believe they experienced it I believe that they 
think that they what they experienced was well it was real they experienced it they saw it they heard it they whatever so it's not that i think that they're you know full of it or something as much as that it's like i also just believe that the mind is insanely powerful and can create a reality that's not which again and we all get that it's dreaming right we all have experienced this right um but again i say that and i i I do say that from a, a, a i try and be humble about it where it's like at the same time, I'm not saying that I know for certain that yeah. those things aren't true. You know what I mean? Because well, I don't know. Exactly. Well, and consciousness is such an underdeveloped scientific field that we yeah. don't understand really the power of what is going on. Right. There's still the ability of like parallel universes. There's the understanding of the multi-universe and how we're actually connected to there. There can be portals. There can be gateways. Like there's things about our world and our universe that we have no idea and cannot fathom upon. Right. But... I'm skeptical of people that experience it certainly when they're sleeping, like because it's already been diagnosed as something that can happen of sleep paralysis. Of right. Like, you can wake up. You can see visions of things in your room. Now, what that is, I don't know. It probably is just a fabrication of your mind. But to right. put any kind of assessment on it is basically just a guess because you don't know. You're just trying to cl- classify and categorize what you're seeing right. as something that's happening. Right. But yeah, so like I said, I, I don't mean that to attack people who, you know, who are religious or who are spiritual or who have experiences that are outside of, you know, my experience. Because again, I don't think that my experience is the exclusive one or the right one or the best one or whatever. Sure. And I, I, I also don't mean to, to belabor that point, but just, I, I, but I do think it's important to say that because, and not because I'm even worried about offending people, but just because I think that's something that people aren't willing to say enough. Like, like I would consider myself largely to be an atheist. But I guess to some extent I would have to concede that maybe it's agnostic. It's like a combination because I don't actually know. Yeah. You know what I mean? No, absolutely. And I think that people who insist on knowing one way or the other are equally wrong because you don't know. Like, you're welcome to believe what you believe, but you can't insist. For me, I put myself in that same camp, is that if it doesn't have definitive evidence because science is our discovery of understanding nature. So if there is no evidence to support whatever argument that it is, then it's all just a hypothetical guess of just trying to categorize and compartmentalize what you're seeing so that it makes sense to you. Cause right. as human beings, we don't like to leave things unexplained because it makes us feel vulnerable in our environment. Right. So it's like, what is that thing in the sky that I just saw that I have no idea what it is? It must be this. That way I can rest assured. It's just this. It's not something weird, or I can just compartmentalize it of saying it's just a deity, or it's an alien, or whatever, and then I don't have to actually question it anymore. Right. You know, then I don't have to feel like I don't know my surroundings, because we have to feel comfortable in our surroundings. Weather is, you know, is certainly a crazy thing that could certainly produce that kind of phenomenon, especially in times where we didn't have the scientific tools to explain it. Yeah. But imagine seeing, like, the northern lights in, like, the 1500s, like... Yeah. How could you not think that something exactly. crazy? I mean, what? Right, right. <laughs> like, it's I mean, so weird. Think the sun was the god. Right. You know, that's what they thought it was. Now we know it's just a giant ball of helium nuclear fusion. <laughs> like, I mean, it, you know what I mean? It's just like, no, you, once you understand what it is, right. then you understand what it is. There's proof, there's evidence, right. you can show that, you know. But everything mm. else is just like, and this is going to sound like me being such an asshole, and I don't mean to sound it this way, but anybody that proposes religious experiences as an explanation of nature i'm always just like yeah i mean i like lord of the rings too (laughs) yeah i don't i mean that's super like passive aggressive and i'm just poking fun i'm not trying to be a dick but it is just kind of my point there is just like i can make up stuff too 
people around me can make up stuff. Right. We don't know. You don't know. You just firmly believe that the stuff that you've made up or that someone else made up and told you is real and you're in that camp. And if that makes you feel better about your life, then fucking awesome, man. That's great. I mean, it's your life. Go for it. You know, yeah. I'm not going to tell you how to live. But certainly from my perspective, it's like, yeah, it's just Harry Potter, man. That's all. Right. <laughs> you know? right. Like, yeah, yeah. Wizards and magics. And but I will say, unicorns. you know, and now I'm completely off the subject of habits and the power of habit, mm-hmm. which I will get back to because that's actually what I wanted to talk to you about on this. But, um, you know, I will actually say, though, that I, I came to the realization actually through reading a fiction book, which was really surprising to me because I hadn't read fiction in a long time. Um, and, and I guess I had I didn't start off with it this way. I just actually was getting bored trying to read fiction books and found stuff like Malcolm Gladwell was just much more interesting for me to read. And I could finish the book, you know? So, so, but I kind of developed in my head this idea that like, oh, well, fiction is just dumb. You know, I'm just not going to read that. And it's just a whatever. Right. And then I read this, uh, this fantasy trilogy called the Mistborn trilogy, which is, uh, it, it is amazing. It's, it, it's so much better than Game of Thrones, <laughs> and I don't. I, I didn't actually watch the show. As you know, we read the books. Yeah. Um, so I'm comparing it to that experience, which the books are unfinished. So for Game of Thrones lovers, which is apparently the whole planet, uh, if you read the books, you'd be a lot more pissed off than you think you are about not liking the last episode. Like, how about having the fifth book come out and end on a cliffhanger that's bullshit? Almost ten years ago, <laughs> right? Which was five years. The first Game of Thrones book came out in 1996, folks. Yeah, right, right. Anyway, I'm off on so many tangents. That's the walk show for you. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, so in reading this Mistborn trilogy, it like a central theme of it is is actually belief and faith, but not faith in the sense of like, you know. Uh, not specifically like Christian faith, which is how that word, at least in our neck of the woods, is used exclusively almost. Yeah. But it actually it, it actually really made a, a point that I was, again, really surprised to get from a fiction book, but it's like, I actually feel like the fact that I don't have a religion or that I don't have some belief system that I can turn to is actually a really sh- big shortcoming of, of mine. And not like I'm a, a loser for it or something, but just simply that, like, I'm actually not experiencing the full extent of, and this will sound really conceited, but I don't know, how, but, like, of my potential power. Because if you have that belief, and you have those those things to turn to, it can carry you through some situations that you might not otherwise make it through, you know? Yeah, right. Um, like, well, I think that's why religious aspects tend to try and corner the morality market. As them, them's the one being like the shareholders and you know yeah. the ones that hold morality because they assume if you don't have that in place, how could you possibly make a decision that actually benefits you as a person because there's no reward at the end of it? And it's like, yeah, but that's not really why you would do that. Your motivation for being moral or ethical has nothing to do with what the end game is. I'm to some people it probably would be, but I would consider that to be unethical. <laughs> yeah, I, I to me it's it's actually not. A, yeah, it has nothing to do with morality. It, it it's more probably to do with mortality. Um, like I have a friend who had a buddy that had cancer and got really sick and then got better and then got it again. But he was a really really devout Christian, and through all of it, like when he first got sick, when he got better, when he got sick again, and you know eventually unfortunately passed away from it. Um, 
he was like super joyous and happy the entire time. And yeah, cool. But it was because of his faith that he had the strength and the and the capacity sure. to understand it and perceive it the way that he did. Absolutely. And so it's like when I look at that situation, like you know, whether or not I think his religion is accurate or not. Yeah. When we really talk about the brass tacks of it, like, does it matter? Because what really matters is that despite him facing these horrible things, right. he was still able to be happy and be filled with joy in Absolutely. the face of something terrible. Yeah, so it doesn't matter if it's right or not. It's that powerful, exactly. and that's the value exactly. of it. So, it's your perception, which is dictating your life. Right. Your life is revolving around how you want. If it makes you feel better because you want to just right. compartmentalize this into making your environment more comfortable by defining it as this. And that yeah. helps you put any kind of uh, unease that you have in your mind about the world with that. Then absolutely. Right. I remember um, a friend of mine uh, had lost someone and another friend of that person had said, um, you know, I know that you're an atheist and you believe that that person is just gone, but I've lost people and I just can't really relate to you on that because I don't know how to live with myself if I don't think that those people are waiting for me on the other side. Right. I, don't, I can't just accept and go on with my life right. thinking that I'll never see them again. Right. I have to feel like they're there with me constantly just in like in a different realm yeah. or in a different format and I just have 20 more years before I get to go hang out with them. You yeah. know what I mean? It's like that... It's a very tough thing for people to just be like, right. this is it, this is all I got, and that's it. And well, for me, I'm way more, I push myself harder in my life because I'm an atheist. Because for me, I believe that this is it, This is it's done. Whenever I'm gone, lights out, nothing happens, like that's it. Right. So I'm going to make the most of this here because the power of being happy in life is so incredibly rewarding. That when I used to go through depression and anxiety, that was when I realized, that was kind of the beginning of when I started to understand that um, religion for me is metaphors. Because hell was already there and I was in it. And yeah. that was my mindset. And I was like, this has to be it. Because right. my reality right now is hell. This is what they're talking about. If you perceive self-indulgence constantly in a negative fashion, you will punish yourself. And the oldest, you know, story that I was ever told about hell is that people walk in openly to hell and can't get out. They believe they deserve to go there. They want to be punished because they feel guilty about what they've done. It's like, that is all, for me, a giant metaphor into, like, how you actually go through depression and anxiety and develop that as a habit. It's yeah. like, you are just not trying to walk into this situation thinking that, but you believe that you should be there. Yeah. Because you can't perceive things to be different. Right. And this habit just constantly reinforces yourself, but you don't know that that's happening. Right, right, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I guess for me, I would say that I, I, I used to firmly believe that, like, oh, absolutely nothing happens after this. And really the conclusion that I've come to now is just that I don't know and I don't believe that anyone else knows what happens at no, the end absolutely. of all this. That's why. So it's more just that, like, I have no idea what will happen when I die, and I can't also, I don't think that there's any way for me to control it because I can't anticipate it. Sure. So I may as well act as if nothing else is going to happen because exactly. I don't know. And if there, if I'm wrong and there turns no. out to be this afterlife exactly. or reincarnation or whatever, right. dope. It was like the, super uh, happy with it. <laughs> argument that Bill Nye and whatever the creationists, their uh, little debate was, and he was like, "What's going to change your position on creationism, Mister Creationism guy?" Ken Ham. Like, nothing. Ken Ham. 
And he was like, absolutely nothing will shake my faith. And then they asked Bill Nye, like, well, what do you think would change your position on it? And he was like, evidence. Yeah. And that's it. And that, yeah. that really is it. And that's, I don't believe that lights out after I die because that's what happens. It's just that's up until this point, all we know happens. Right. We have no evidence to suggest otherwise. Right. So for me to pretend that it's not that, it's just me being naive to the truth, which is I'm here, I'm here right now, I have power of choice, and I all I know is what's in front of me. Uh, yeah, I think that, I guess the only where place I would disagree, and, and certainly for you yourself, that all makes sense, and that's Absolutely, true. Absolutely, yeah. It's all just your answer to the right. question: What am I doing here, and how is this environment? But I think on? that it's I don't think that it's always you know again for you you could perceive it as being naivety, but for someone else again like that dude that I talked about with the the cancer story. I don't think he's being naive to think that there's something oh, no. else because mm. in that case, that is what's that belief is what's actually fueling him to be able yeah. to live his no, best exactly. life. You yeah. know what I mean? It's, so it's totally perception. Right. And I don't mean to sound like a condescending jackass. Yeah. And, but for some people, uh, I was previously married, and my uh, previous mother-in-law told me, uh, "God is a crutch. Some people need it. Some people don't." Like. Those words just always rang true for me because at the time I didn't really think about it. And yeah. she was just kind of dismissive. And that is a very, you know... It's a very pessimistic way it to is, say it. And it it's really a very, is. It's, it's, a, it's condescending. Yeah, no, it totally is. Yeah. It's like, oh, I'm better than you because I don't need that. Or whatever. But it's like, whatever you need to do to get you to a place where you're comfortable with your life is all that matters. Yeah. If it takes you going to church sunday wednesday saturday doing youth groups doing whatever like if that's your life and you are incredibly happy doing that and you're comfortable with your choices then do it like right. don't ever listen to anybody else tell you that you're wrong because you're doing that like, right i just personally have to answer that question just like everyone else does where it's like what am i doing with my life what am i doing here right you know? and it just makes sense for me to be yeah. in the position that i'm in which is probably why i'm an engineer <laughs> yeah i've i've really tried to um i've really tried over the last several years to to, to lighten my position because I used to all absolutely be the like oh it's a crutch you know it's a, and always be really condescending about religion and yeah, I don't know it definitely over the last few years has just become aware to me that I was just being arrogant and again not that that's where you were in your no, explanation yeah, I mean I, I'm totally living that right. life man like if, yeah. if it works for you awesome please yep. just don't tell me how to live and I will do the same I right I'll tell you how to live like, yeah go for it and you like Buddhism knock yourself well the off. thing is is that you know and, and for people who are from this area they'll get it but for people who aren't from this part of the country which is Missouri we just live in the Bible Belt and so for you and I personally we've grown up where we are the outsiders yes. for not being Christians oh, and yeah. we are and it's very much ingrained I mean there's literally a church like every couple of blocks in this town you know right so we also just have a stronger like defense or wall up against like hey like I'm gonna almost kind of attack that because I feel like it's been attacking me this whole time yeah but if we I think if we were from like a really and not just not a city even but just any other part of like when I went to upstate New York it was rural it was small towns mm -hmm. but there was like two churches you know what I mean it's just not the same level of embedded into that culture as it is here yeah right. so I again I explain that just so that uh, you know people kind of understand where we're coming from or our perspective on, on this is yes. like it's it's different growing up here and being from here where it is you know through and through embedded in every part of <laughs> the community
Again, we kind of got off on a tangent there, we, you know, <laughs> to, to, to help people track where we were. Talking about habits, <laughs> the power of habits. And then that went into the story about the guy with night terrors, or sleep terrors, or whatever it was. Uh, and then that went into just kind of the power of the mind, and that turned into religious conversation. But I want to bring it back to um, the habit stuff, because it, it's, you know, for a long time I have struggled so much with discipline and consistency, and I always thought it was like just a character flaw, almost, or something. And recently I read a book called Discipline is Freedom, and that really kind of helped me understand the 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 power, the reason it's called that is because it's like, if you have discipline, you can be free from a lot of anxiety, right? Because if you have the discipline to just do routines and do a checklist of whatever tasks or something, then you have an opportunity to be free of these worries. And so that made sense to me. Um, and, and then I read this Power of Habit book, and it kind of, you know, obviously talks about the power of habits, and something that I didn't really touch on yet that it really emphasizes throughout the book is that actually the real central component to all of it, beyond understanding how it works in the brain and beyond understanding how a habit loop works and all of that, is actually just belief. So I guess it does kind of tie back to the religion conversation in a little way, but but it's actually that you just have to actually believe that, that the habits can change and you have yeah. to believe that things can be different. So they talk about like AA, Alcoholics Anonymous in the book, and how a lot of the the steps in the 12-step program don't line up with what researchers would say you should do to change habits, right? But one thing that AA does is it it actually asks you to believe in a higher power. It doesn't actually say God or Jesus or anything like that. Or acknowledge a higher power. Or right. Like that, yeah. But 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 so what it actually bakes into all of the twelve steps is is really trying to help you believe that things can change. Yes. Um, and so and and so it when I say it's connected the dots, it's like so in the last couple of months I have actually established a lot of new habits and routines, and it started with discipline because they weren't habits, so it it had to just be an act of discipline to engage in these things daily, right? But what I've found now is that since I've actually had, you know, a good, a good couple of months at it, and not that I'm at the mountaintop now, and not that I don't think it's still uh, vulnerable and fragile. It is, you know? So not that, like, I've mastered it, on to the next. You know, that's not the case. But I'm already finding that it feels less and less like discipline. Like, I used to always say, like, how... It, like how does willpower actually work? Like, if you ask me to get up in the morning and go for a run, like, I'm hitting the, the snooze, or I'm c curling back up in the bed. But if you take, like, someone who's, like, an Olympic athlete, which I get is a really extreme example, because not everyone is that, but whatever, and you ask them to get up and run in the morning, they don't. there's not even a question. There's not even a thought. Like, there's not any... There's not any debate internally as to whether or not they're going to do it. They just go run. And I was like... How do they have that willpower? And what I've kind of come to from reading that Discipline is Freedom and now this book, and then also engaging in the experiences of trying to build habits myself, is that it's actually not a willpower thing. It's just a habit. They just they just have a habit of getting up and running, and it's so ingrained that they just 
They don't even think about it. It's just what yeah. they do. It's right. not. It's not. It's not because they're special or because they've found some trick. It's literally just because it's their routine, and that's yeah. that's what it is. You and I had talked uh, before we started actually recording the show about um, doing the show and what it was like in the creative process and having this kind of like it's my sandbox and I want to be able to like influence all the elements in it and kind of look at it from every angle that I want to look at it from because it's mine. It's my own creative space. And that's the way that I look at my time on this planet is it's going to sound kind of dorky, I guess, but like almost like a pie chart. If I look at my a pie chart and that pie chart represents my day, then I get to look at cutting it into different slices of what I want to see and accomplish through that day. Whether or not I'm super good at that thing or I'm not good at that thing, I just think I'm really interested in this, I'm really interested in this, I'm really interested in this, and I want to do this. Maybe I should start carving out slices of my day to do those things. Right. And then, like, when I started to do uh, my undergrad in engineering, like, I was really terrified because I didn't, I wasn't prepared. I was terrified of your classwork in undergrad. Yeah, I didn't even, like, I had a list, (laughs) a class (laughs) listing of what I was supposed to be taking my freshman year and looking at the plan, um, the projected path for the whole time. And it was just like physics one, physics two, calc one, calc two, calc three, differential. I mean, all of this stuff that I was not prepared for to take and had never done anything like this before. So it's like, yeah, can I cut it? Can I even do any of this stuff? And I'm, we're at your house now, obviously, and I rode my bike over here, and there's a huge hill coming up to your house, and I was describing to you, like, the way that I accomplish that hill on my bike is to just put it into a momentum that makes sense for me to climb that hill, and then look in small increments at the ground right in front of me, and then just pedal with momentum and control my breath, and control where I'm at in relative position towards the hill not how fast can i get to the top of it how much longer do i have but just if i maintain the momentum that i'm at eventually i will get to the top of the hill and that's all i had to do with engineering was just like let's just break it down into small increments and small problems that i can solve and then just work my way through small problems and then larger problems become solved because i've just solved a larger problem by dissecting into smaller problems and that's how i just developed any kind of habit that i've ever done like Playing guitar, for example, like I can't just shred like, you know, Buckethead or like Kurt Hammond or whoever is like your favorite guitar player or whatever. But I can start doing techniques that they have, stepping my way through it very slowly. And then I just kind of do the same thing, just dissect Mm -hmm. it, a large problem and look at an overall goal and cut it into smaller pieces of things that I can manage. Right. And everybody that I work with as an engineer always tells me that this is a large project. This is going to take a lot of time. and It's really daunting. Just cut it down into the very first things that you need to do that are very easy, small tasks to accomplish, and just start working your way through it and checking it off. And you'll see over time that the larger project gets resolved because you cut it into smaller sections. Yeah, I mean, really what you're talking about there is, you know, the the idea of mindfulness and the idea of, of being in the moment. Uh, some call, call it like a flow state yeah, is another right. way that it's referred to. But um, it's interesting, like I... I think I've talked about this on my other podcast, Pick Up Your Sticks, which is a video game podcast, but, so there's, Phil Jackson is the famous coach from the NBA, he was the Bulls coach when they won their six titles with Jordan and Pippen, and then he was the Lakers coach, both when they won three titles with Kobe and Shaq, and then also when they won with Kobe and like Pau Gasol and some other guys a few years after that. And so he has this book called Eleven Rings, that is kind of a play on like the five rings 
thing or whatever, the samurai book or whatever, the sword. Oh, yeah, guy. okay, right. Uh, Mushashi, or I don't know the name, something like that. Anyway, yeah. <laughs> uh, and so he, he, what Phil Jackson does is he talks about how he, the way the book is laid out is he takes every championship team from all 11 championship seasons where he was the coach and then kind of tells the story of like what challenges that team faced and how he, how he tried to orchestrate that team to come together in order to win a championship. Because Phil Jackson's coaching style certainly involves X's and O's and they watch tape and he's famous for the triangle offense and trying to run that. So it's not that he doesn't employ tactics or strategy within basketball, but really his his role and his key to success, as he explains it, is actually much more about teaching people that, getting people to be able to stay in the moment. So when you're in the game, you're not thinking about the last play or the next play. You're just thinking about where you are right now. Yes. And you're not thinking about what's going to happen at the end of this quarter or are we going to go to overtime. You're just thinking about the play that you're in right now. Yes. Um, and also, like, some really cool stuff, like, where he like he would have the teams, you know, not every game, and I don't know how often, but he would have the teams, like, get together before a game and, like, shut the lights off and stand in a circle and hold hands. Yeah. And then all breathe until all of their breaths are synced. Yeah. So that way they're all, like, connected in that, you know, kind of on the same page. Absolutely. Um, and so it's just interesting because it's exactly what you're talking about. I mean, you're not talking about yeah. with a team, you're talking Whoa. about with yourself. But I mean, it's... That's what's crazy about it is that the answer is so simple and it's so applicable to anything. Yeah. Like as soon as I got done graduating uh, with my engineering degree, like I had it. Like that sense of accomplishment was so fucking rewarding. Yeah. But what was amazing about it is that like I wasn't even focusing on the fact of relishing in this thing that I accomplished because I'd been doing it the whole time. So it didn't feel like I just got it awarded a trophy for right. something I just did. It was more or less like, holy shit, I remember when I was super scared of this. And afraid of this, and, and you know, vulnerable to this, and I've made myself through it. Now, anything that I want to do, I can do because I just proved to myself that I can do something incredibly difficult. The, and all I have to do yeah. is just start it, break it down into small steps and problems, and just keep working my way through it. Yeah. You know, I mean, my brother kind of like succinctly put it uh, whenever I was talking about it, it's like, just work. Everything that you do is just work. Not like a job, not like not going you know, career. to work. Not, not going to work. It's just effort. Like you just choose to do that thing. Just do it. And then right. if you do it consistently, your brain will develop it as a habit. That's how I got into working out. I just found something that I like doing. And then I just did it continuously enough that I feel weird when I don't do it. Right. And it's like, nah, I should probably do that because it's good for me and because it's fun and I you know, enjoy it. I don't not want to do it. Mm -hmm. Whereas before it was like, I have to force myself to do it. I'm tired. I don't want to do that. It's like, if you just put your emotional mental state out of the mind, unless you're like injured or something, you know, or sick or whatever, but it's like, you really don't have any excuses. Just do it. Don't think about it. Just do it because you're letting your subconscious, your conscious mind rest while your subconscious is developing habits. Exactly. So it becomes second nature for you just to do it. That's a, and that's exactly what I was trying to talk about with comparing it to like the discipline. It's like when you first start, it is a dis, it is a matter of discipline to some extent because you do have to just put it out your feelings yeah. and just right. do it. Right. But it doesn't take that long before you don't even have to do the discipline part anymore because yeah. you don't feel bad about it anymore because now it's a habit, right. like you just said, a routine. Like I used to hate running so bad. Like I just despised it. And it's because... Every time I was meant to run, it was always go out and run a mile. 
go do that and then come back. And it's like, but I can't run a mile because I don't run. Yeah. So I can run like a hundred yards and then I'm winded and I have blood in the back of my throat, you know, <laughs> the right. taste of metallic, you know, and it's because I'm not conditioned to do that. But when Bridget and I got together and she told me about her running strategy, it was take a 30 minute block of window, break it down into five minutes, and then you start running for however long you can run for in five minute intervals. So you do five minutes, you start off with like 30 seconds, run for 30 seconds, take a break, take a break for a minute and a half, then run 30 seconds, then take a break for a minute and a half, then run 30 seconds, and then do that for 30 minutes. Cause you could probably do that. I mean, you could even do it in like 10 seconds, whatever your, you know, your endurance level is, you can match that. But then each like week or every couple weeks, you increase your rate and then shorten your resting time. And to the point where you can just run 30 minutes continuously because you've worked your way up there because you rest appropriately and you condition yourself as a habit yeah. to the incremental level. And I was like, it's actually not you know, terrible. I actually kind of like running because I can do it appropriate level to my endurance level, right. not get out there pussy and run a mile. And it's like, right. I don't want to do that. And I hate this because I'm going to be miserable by the end of it, even if I make it there, yeah. <laughs> you know? Well, so, you know, the reason that I, that I really wanted to talk to you about this is because it's, it, and it's funny because not that you need my validation or something like that at all. Um, but you know, a long time ago when we were 20, you suffered very badly, very acutely from depression and anxiety, which you mentioned earlier. Yeah. Clinically diagnosed. And, um, and I, and, and. And I've, you know, I've known you for before that and obviously, you know, since then. Yeah. Um, and I've had different, you know, I, I don't know that I ever, you know, fortunately for me, I don't know that I ever suffered as greatly as like you or some other people that are close to me have from those things. But I've gone through some phases before where I get pretty down and, and whatever. Sure. Um, and, and I remember talking to you, it was a few years ago where I felt I, I was feeling really bad and I had developed some some habits, frankly, right. that I didn't like and that I didn't think were my character. And I, and I was talking about it and I was like, I feel like I'm like, I've gone crazy. Like I've lost myself. I don't know. And you were like, you really haven't. Like, it's just, it's just habits, man. Like you've just established patterns or habits that are doing these, but you're not, you are not your habits. You are not your patterns and you can change those. And, and it, it, it made intellectual sense, but I didn't understand it. You know, I, I wasn't able to apply it immediately. Um, and eventually 
I did actually do that. I did change my habits and then did feel way differently. But it wasn't like these last couple of months that I've been talking about, I've made a very intended effort and like a like very intentional decision about what habits I'm trying to establish. Whereas in that time, it kind of just serendipitously finally fucking thank God happened <laughs> that yeah. I was able to change habits and get away from the cycle I was in. Right. But so I wanted to bring this up because now, again, it's only a couple months, so I don't mean to sound, again, like I'm coming from the mountaintop or something, but I now way more fully understand what you meant, yeah. you know, and how true it is. Sure. But I think that, you know, like, I, so I heard this thing on NPR, there's this guy that wrote a book about, um, about psilocybin, which is the active ingredient in magic mushrooms, and how it can be used to treat people with mental illness. Yeah, I actually just watched a documentary uh, called Mind Explained on Netflix. And oh. it's a four-part series, and it goes through, like, memory. and. But anyway, they have an episode on, on, uh, about psychedelics. Oh, okay. So, yeah, so it's cool. But yeah, so this guy talks about how, and you know, it's limited. You know, he doesn't have tens of thousands of patients or something. But in, so it's somewhat anecdotal, I guess you could say. But either way, he's had experiences with people who suffer from PTSD. Yeah. Uh, and then people who suffer from depression and anxiety, where they're able to do literally a single time they do psilocybin yeah. and come back out of it changed. Yeah, yeah. But it's because on the psilocybin, it allows you to kind of detach emotionally. Yes. And so then it allows them to to break that cycle and that pattern of stories that they're telling themselves and gain a new perspective on it. Right. And it's crazy how... Crazy is the wrong word to use, but... <laughs> uh, how stigmatized psychedelics are because people act like it's just a train to crazyville. And it yeah. certainly can be if, if a person does way too much, right. but it's, it's not, it's not exclusively that, you know, like it, drunk um, people are way more scary to be around yeah. than someone. The <laughs> documentary is actually incredibly fascinating because the person that developed it, developed it in like the twenties, I believe. And then it became clinically researched in the sixties. And it was, like, very heavily, like, treating people with terminal illnesses, treating people with PTSD, treating people with depression, to be, I mean, all kinds of things. And it was, like, clinical data being gathered by many, many scientists that were like, this is amazing, you should do this. Because it was kind of, like, a one-pill answer. It was like, you can dose people. There was a guy that had severe alcoholism, and he was like, yeah, I, as soon as I took this pill, like, I was completely fine after that. I just had to gain, like, a new perspective on what I was doing, and... I yeah. don't even have the ability to, I don't have the desire to like drink anymore. Right. And then it was the hippie culture that was using it like recreationally that they, the U.S. government felt like it became this like tool of use of kind of undermining. Subversion. Yeah, right. And so then it became outlawed and they completely like cut out any kind of clinical research into it and until like the previous, I don't know, probably 10 years, 15 years or something. Now that's kind of making its way back because it is so important and like there's people that have terminal illnesses that and you know debilitating diseases or habits or behaviors or whatever that can use this for gainful usefulness into making their lives better and not even something they have to take consistently like right. oxycotton or something it's like this isn't you know a remedy to make you forget and to you know just boost serotonin levels or give you a dopamine release this is really giving you an ability to calm your emotions down look at things from an, a more bird's eye view perspective on what you're doing and then position yourself like you said around what you're actually doing yeah now there's always going to be exceptions to that where not everyone's going to have that kind of reaction you know but there are people that it's 
largely the case of the vast majority of people that it will help you doing that. You right. Know? So it's cool. It's cool to see that coming back. Well, so what I'd like to ask you to do now, and you know, I, I'm kind of putting you on the spot a little bit, so certainly as much or as little as you want to share, but would you mind kind of walking through, you know, what it was like? Because again, you had very severe depression and anxiety yeah. and completely, you know, rescued yourself from that. Yeah. Um, I mean, as you just talked about, I mean, really culminating, I think, a, a long journey, but ultimately culminating in the life that you've now built for yourself, where yeah. you've got a great relationship with Bridget, and you've yeah. got a great career that's for sure. in a field that you find fascinating. Absolutely. Um, but my understanding is that largely the way that that happened was through habits and patterns and yes. recognizing the power of yes. that. So would you mind kind of walking All us of through that. how what that looked like and you know what what your your experience was yeah yeah right uh i don't really remember precisely what the trigger was that kind of started it but it was uh 19 to 23 in the age range of what that was the time and when it first started it was absolutely debilitating like i couldn't do anything except lay in my bed and just wait for the next panic attack to come and they would last for like um, you know, 30 seconds to like a minute, you know, and, but anybody that's ever had a panic attack will know, like, it's extremely exhausting. I mean, it's just like having an adrenaline dump, like you just get super amped up and then afterwards you're just completely wiped out. And that lasted, I don't remember the time frame, but it was, I mean, six months probably where I just couldn't do anything, couldn't work. I did, thankfully, like I could stay with my parents at the time, like that, I could do that. But uh, I just chain smoked and drank Dr. Pepper and just tried to like watch TV, but I couldn't really do that. And I was trying to like do things like, you know, play piano because I always wanted to play piano or like go for walks or stuff like that. But everything seemed to be a trigger into depression or into having a panic attack. So I was really rearranging my life to accommodate not doing things that would acclimate triggers, which is the worst thing that you can do because you're just giving it more power because then you're afraid of pursuing things that are natural to pursue, but you are having an inappropriate response to an appropriate situation, which I think is what the like clinical diagnosis of anxiety is like mm. appropriate, inappropriate response to an appropriate situation. And so eventually like the panic attacks kind of subsided. I was doing therapy at the time and I was going to see a psychiatrist in St. Louis, which sucked because I had to drive three and a half hours and then drive back the same day and oh, I had to wow. do that twice a week. And I was rotating through several medications. I had to be hospitalized in the Marion Center, which is a know, mental institution, if you want to call that, or mental health facility. It's a mental health facility. It. I would say that. Mental institution makes it sound like it's something from the 50s. Where they do yeah, it's, I mean, it's attached to one of the big hospitals here yeah, in right, Springfield. Right, right. It's just a place to kind of monitor. And really, that was when I first understood what they were trying to do because they force you into a routine force you into like you're going to get up and eat breakfast then you're going to do group therapy then you're going to do this and at the time I just thought like whatever I don't care I'm just here because I don't know what's happening to me and this is crazy you yeah. know and the medications were just awful and finally like I just got a diagnosis of the last time of just like I don't we don't really know what it is it sounds like it's OCD it sounds like that's what you have you know and then my psychiatrist said that my therapist had said that and this is just something that you're going to have to live with and it was devastating to me and at the same time infuriating because I was like, fuck that, I'm not doing this. Like, I, there's no way. There has to be a better answer. Mm -hmm. And I found this 
group in uh, Britain, this guy had started this company. Uh, I don't remember what it's called. I think it's called the Nine Pillars or something. And it was a really interesting therapeutic process because he himself went through massive panic attacks and clinical uh, anxiety. And that was his whole structure was like your, your amygdala, which is responsible for your fear and anxiety levels, is out of control. And you've developed a habit of maintaining that it is set at a very high level because you're acknowledging it and letting it be at a high level. So in order to let it maintain a normal, quote unquote, normal level, you need to reestablish better habits. And it's much more in-depth to that, but that's basically the bullet point is like you needed to develop better habits. Now... Trying to do all of that when you're completely exhausted is really tough because you don't have the strength to really do anything because you're just like, fuck, I'm just tired all the time. But I also can't sleep because I have insomnia because I'm worried constantly. You just nothing but worry all the time. It sucks. But eventually I was able to you know, get a job and kind of maintain that. I was on medication at the time and I just decided like I don't want to do that and I have to kind of take some kind of direction of where I want to go. So my buddy at the time was like, hey, I'm thinking about doing this school for audio engineering. And me being a musician and loving music as much as I do, I always wanted to be somehow involved in music. And I never thought that that would be something that would be, I just never thought about it. Never thought that that would be interesting or whatever. And I was like, wow, that sounds really cool. Awesome. I was like, you know what? I'm going to do that. That just sounds cool. I need a break, maybe change of atmosphere and environment and to try to pursue something I love and just trying to push myself to do something, you know, anything. Mm-hmm. And so when I got there, it was in Phoenix, Arizona, um, it was there. And then I just decided like while I was there that I was just going to do everything I could to try and do what this nine pillars person and this you know therapy group in Britain had talked about. And so I was playing every time that I was not in class, I was either exercising, eating right, quote unquote, eating right and working on music. So I had like a a flamenco guitar book and I was like, I'm gonna practice it and I'm gonna exercise and I'm just gonna do all these things and ignore the thoughts that are in my head. Ignore my own intuition that's telling me, stop this, go back to Springfield, go back to what we were doing before. Like that, all that internal dialogue is going on the whole time that I'm doing this and I just have to ignore it because it's like, that's not good for me, I can't do that. That's Mm -hmm. just a habit like reinforcing itself. And just so it was painful, painful to change that habit. It was not easy of just like, I'm just going to do this now. Like it sucked and it was hard and it was tiring and it was exhausting, but didn't really have a choice. And I refused to let it just control my life any longer. And then, yeah, once I graduated at 23, I think you even commented on like, wow, I've never seen you in this fashion before. Mm -hmm. Like you are the best version of yourself that I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. Weight was down, happiness up, comfortability, confidence. Like I'd never had that before in my life when mm-hmm. it's like I found something that I've attached to. An identity that's not arrogance. It's not you know being condescending. It's not pretentiousness. It's just complete comfortability in my own skin with the choices that I've made. And it was just awesome. And that then just kind of led me through like what other challenges can I do here? You know, and I wanted to pursue something like engineering again. It's just like, now let's just keep going, man. Like this is a mountaintop. Like let's just climb this mountain. Just do it one step at a time and just go for it. And then I won't succeed if I stop, but I won't succeed 
I will succeed if I just keep moving one foot in front of the other. And yep. if it becomes an immovable object that I have to stop, then I can say, like, well, I made it up until this point. But I won't let myself stop because right. of whatever excuse. It's just like, no, I already know what it's like behind me because I've been there. Yep. And it sucks. And I've tried, because I'm a very analytical person, to find the root cause. And that's the worst part about it, is that every time that you are in a cycle of depression and anxiety, you just sit there and think about why you are doing what you're doing. And you don't realize that you're creating a habit by thinking about these things that are basically meaningless and don't mean anything, but you attribute it to it. I mean, I had horrible like, identity crises. It's like, am I homosexual? Am I transgender? Am I you know, a serial killer? Like All of these things that it's like, why am I freaking out about things that I'm never going to do and that I'm not? But it seems real, and why am I thinking these things? Like, sometimes you just got random thoughts, dude. Like, just chill out and just let random thoughts fucking roll off you like water on a duck. Like, just ignore the bullshit and focus on what you want to focus on. Like, focus. Focus on your task at what you want to do, and it helps just solidify you being the person that you want to be. I think the most succinct that I could possibly tell to anybody is that my view of life is that you are going down a river in a boat and just like with any river there will be obstacles in your way there'll be rocks there'll be trees there'll be boulders there'll be whatever there will be things that you will have to maneuver around if you sit in the boat and don't do anything you eventually will run into those things and you can be upset all you want that you ran into those things but you are not choosing actively to move around those but when you start picking up a row and you know a paddle and start directing yourself around those things, then you don't have to worry about things that are in your way. Yeah, they suck, but you can just maneuver around them, get past them, and then leave them behind you. Like, it's just about taking control of your day. I got 12 hours in a day, I mean, you have 24, but you know, like, right. I have to sleep this much, and then what I'm gonna do? I'm gonna wake up, you know, maybe I'll stretch, meditate, eat the food that I wanna eat, that I think is good for me, that tastes good, go to work, get off work, I want to work on my hobbies, I'm going to practice music for an hour and a half, I'm going to play with my dogs for an hour and a half, I'm going to eat dinner, I'm going to talk to Bridget for an hour and a half, I'm going to work on technical shit for either school or work or whatever, and then I'm going to stretch and then I'm going to go to bed. Boom. Done. And my whole day was just filled with everything that I want to do. There is no time for me to relish on things that I don't want. I don't have time for that shit. Mm -hmm. And that was really like the end of the day. It was like, that's how I got through it. It was just like, I don't have fucking time for this bullshit that's existing in my mind and forcing me to interact with it. I won't fucking stand for it. Like, it's time for me to take control and do exactly what I want all day. Yeah. And you get it. And you win. That's how you win. That, that to me is the secret in life of happiness, at least so far. It's just like... Just take control. Take control of the boat. Yeah. That's happening whether or not you want it to or not. The boat is moving. Nothing stands still. Nothing. And you will always have obstacles. You either move around them on your own free will or you run into it and you're like, why'd this happen? Why, why is this going on? I don't understand. It's like, take control of the boat and you can move around it. Yeah. Otherwise, you're just stuck. <laughs> yeah.
But yeah, though that's that's super awesome, and thank you for sharing that. Um, no I, you know, like I said, the, the the reason that I wanted to to talk about this book with you, and and that I wanted to for you to share that story, is just that, you know, depression and anxiety, you know, whether it be rather minor or, or very very significant, you know, I have some people very close to me that's very significant for, and um, a lot of people feel really helpless, and and I think yeah. that. And rightfully so, you know, yeah, I get no, it. I get like, that, man. I do. I've been there. It sucks. And it sucks. And, and the thing is, is that it's like, and that's kind of what the, the, the Power of Habit book also concludes is that, you know, all habits and all patterns are malleable, period. Like, there is not one that is just absolute. Yeah. However, an individual has to decide that they want to, to change those and to take that control. Yeah. And... I think people feel, you know, I, I think when people hear stuff like this, sometimes they feel like, well, now you're just telling me that it's my own fault. And that makes me feel even worse about it. Right. Yeah, right. And it's like that, like, that's not the point. <laughs> the, no, the point yeah. is actually, it's not blame. The, yeah, it's not blame. It's actually empowerment. Exactly. Because you actually have control. It's right. not just happening to you. No, yeah, exactly. And things do happen to people, so I don't mean that, that everything is no, created right. or that's something. That's why I, like, I didn't even remember how it started. Yeah. Like, it's just something that you... That's what sucks so bad about it at first before you can position to that understanding is that like you just feel like you're being attacked constantly by yourself. The mm -hmm. worst feeling I've ever had in my entire life was that I wanted to run away from myself and I realized I couldn't and I was stuck. Like, that was when I realized, like, I'm in hell. Yeah. This is fucking hell. Because I want so badly to run out of my own skin. Literally run out of my own skin and get the fuck away from me. Yeah. And I can't because I'm fucking trapped. To feel trapped in your own body is, I don't know, man, that's, it's hell. It is. But yeah. on the swing side of that, like, happiness, true happiness for me is absolute love. And absolute love comes with everything that you know i talked about in, in, in dissecting your day like it makes you feel better about your interactions with people you don't have to feel like competition is the name of the game you don't have to feel like you're constantly like well fuck this guy and fuck that guy like road rage goes down like everything becomes different because you're comfortable with who you are not i have to prove myself to the rest of the world it's like i don't give a fuck about that because the rest of the world doesn't give a fuck about me yeah. when my head is on the pillow my head goes on the pillow, and everyone that's giving me love and support, thankfully I have a wonderful you know, family and friends network of people that always supported me, but I still had to go to bed on my own at the end of the day, and that's when it, it's the worst, because you're just alone with your thoughts and trying to like sleep, and yeah, it's terrible. So it's like, I have to fix this, because I'm the one here now, not someone else. You know, right. This sucks. This is awful. I can't live like this. Yeah. Yeah. Um... Like I said, you know, for the past, you know, couple of months, I've really been intending and, and, and very intentional in trying to develop new habits and, and doing this personal development stuff. And, um, you know, I think that, you know, the element that I talked about that they stress in that book and that really, you know, even though you didn't explicitly say it, that was present in your, your entire explanation that you gave is that the, the belief is actually the first step. Like the belief is actually the foundation. The belief and again, it doesn't have to be belief in something spiritual or, or religion. It could be, but but it just has to be a belief that things can be different. Yeah, exactly. And that, and that things just, can change. Whatever it takes for you to pursue that, then do it. Absolutely. As long as it's not harmful to other people, I don't really give a shit what you fucking do. I really don't. Like, yeah. 
Believe what you want. Believe the spaghetti, flying spaghetti monster. Like, whatever. Don't care. Like, yeah. it doesn't matter. As long as it gets you to empower yourself to make your life better and your choices, go for it, man. Right. It doesn't matter. And so, you know, something I've stressed in the last a few recent episodes and, and I, I continue to firmly believe is that the, the best tool um, that I personally have found um, to, to build that belief, because it's hard to build the belief when you're in the midst of that cycle. Like, it's hard, it, it's hard to, to get started. Yeah. And, um, and, and the best tool that I've found for it actually is, is daily affirmations. And it used to be something that I thought was cheesy, and it's like, well, I don't need to say stuff out loud to myself because I can just think it or something, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I actually don't don't think it's cheesy anymore and do think there's an enormous amount of value in it. Now, again, to preface, doing affirmations doesn't doesn't make your anxiety go and depression go away. Uh, going and just starting to exercise will not cure you. It's a combination of a lot of things. It's a combination of believing and changing routines and changing interactions and changing how you think about yourself. There's, there's a, it, it, it's a lot of work. So I don't mean to trivialize it either is my point. I don't mean to yeah. say, oh, here's this one thing you do and everything's better. No. But if the belief is the thing that you're struggling with, just start doing affirmations. Just start doing affirmations daily. And a thing that I hear people say a lot, and I said to myself actually until I had a conversation with a good buddy of mine who has been on this personal development journey for a long time and who was able to kind of give me some perspective, and I've shared this on a previous episode, but... It's this idea where, like, like, well, it, it's hard for me to do affirmations because it's not true. And I don't want to say, I, I can't, I can't, so I can't say, like, I love myself because I don't. And it's like, yeah, the, the thing is, though, is that, and, and so it's not true, so then I, I feel bad about it. Except that, and this is, you know, this is harsh, but it's bullshit because... All of the other thoughts that you're having all day long, where that are making or feeding this depression and anxiety, those are also bullshit. Yeah. So 100. Being disingenuous with yourself was already on the table. Like we're already willing to lie to ourselves. So this notion that we can't do positive things because, well, it's not true yet, and I can't be a liar. Fuck that. You're already lying. Yeah. And and it might be hard to hear that, or you might not want to think that about yourself. And I'm not saying that everyone is a liar. I don't mean that. Yeah. But it's just simply that our standard is not that everything we think about ourselves is true. Yeah. Because if that was the case, then we wouldn't have this bullshit and depression and anxiety stuff. No, exactly. And right. so let that go and just do the positive affirmations. And right. it will start out as a discipline thing where you're not going to be comfortable with it and it's going to feel weird. But just do it. And after a not very long period of time, I don't know how many days or weeks, you know, some people are like, oh, it takes 21 days. I don't fucking know. It takes some amount of it time. It takes however long it takes for it to actually make a difference. Yep. That's but how long it always takes. It's it, it's not one time doing it. It's not two times doing it. I know that for sure. Yeah. I know that it's not just a, a small dose of it that works. It right. is a consistency thing. But if you can do that, your, your beliefs will change. And what you'll find is that when you have those moments of self-talk, after you've established a routine of these affirmations, right. the, the voice that comes back that used to tell you, like, yeah, you are a piece of shit, is like, no, no, like, I love you. It's okay. Like, we can do it. And it's like, yeah. wow, I didn't know that I could be nice to myself. That's that's sweet. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I, 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 you know, to kind of to wrap this up or, or land the plane, I guess, uh, I, I just... Like I said, you know, I think that the belief is the fundamental thing. And then after that, it really is habits. And, and I've talked about, you know, both books now. I strongly I strongly recommend the book Discipline is Freedom. 
if you're struggling with discipline, and I strongly recommend the book The Power of Habit for anybody because yeah. it's a fascinating read. Yeah, that and sounds really cool. has a lot of really good insight. Yeah. Uh, um, so just real quick to touch on one more thing that I didn't really talk about. Like, I did suffer really horribly through depression and anxiety, and that did come with a lot of suicidal tendencies. Like, that wasn't, like, something that I didn't encounter. Like, yeah. it was very much a life-or-death kind that's, of thing. Like, that's I thought what about prompted you to go to the Marion Center. Yeah, 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 yeah. Twice I went there. Yeah. And it was, be, I mean, fuck, the first time I had to be uh, restrained in a hospital bed and like I remember that moment so vividly because it was like I can't believe this is my life. Like what the fuck is happening to me? Right. Like, this is crazy. And it wasn't necessarily trying to kill myself because I wanted well, I obviously wanted to die, but I, I was just trying to just get it to end. Because I'm right. so fucking miserable. Right. It's just like I just can't do this. If this is my life, this is unacceptable. And I just didn't want that. I I really didn't want it to end like my life. I just wanted it to stop. Like, it just, like, this has to find some way to stop, you know, and medication helped, and it does, and I'm certainly not going to undermine, like, psychiatry profession of, like, administering medication to, to people if they need it, because I, you know, am not in that position to comment. But for me, personally, I got an absolute 100% cure from changing my structure of my day to reaffirming things that I wanted, like, seeing the results as a happening... That was kind of the thing that I uh, struggled with, what you're talking about. Like, how long does it take? Like, people are so, how do I lose weight in 30 days? And how do I lose this much pounds? Like, just do the, the work you know will work to get you to your weight goal, and you will see that it will happen. It may just not get you in time for a quote-unquote beach season, but that doesn't fucking matter. What matters is that you get there, because when you get there, you're going to feel better about the time that you spent getting there. You know? Well... Like you like you shared earlier, you know, don't don't look at the top of the hill and see how far away it is. Exactly. Just look down in front of you and just worry about yep. being in the moment. Time, yeah, one step at a time. Yeah. No, I th I think that's really powerful, and you're absolutely right. Because um, it's easy to do that. It's easy to just put one foot in front of the other. It's incredibly difficult to look at like Everest and be like, God damn, I can't climb that thing. It's well, like, it's, it's funny because there's all stages. these there's all these cliches that we've all heard, and and maybe it's because they're cliches that they don't resonate, but it's you know. The you eat an elephant one bite at a time, or the journey of a thousand yeah, steps begins right, with right. one, and it's yeah. all that. You right. know, it's all it's, the you know motivational pictures, you know. <laughs> but I mean, but, but it's all literally the exact same concept. It is. It's, it's it really not is. any different, you yeah. know. It's, so. It sounds like it needs to be more, you know, profound or like complicated, but it's really not. It's no. just like you just gotta take control of the boat, man. I, you know, I obviously also am not qualified to really say this because I'm not a medical professional and I'm not a scientist and a doctor and whatever, but. I actually do just fundamentally believe that the drugs are are not not the answer. Now, I'm not saying that there's never a place for a drug to help out just for someone to like maybe get to a little more stable position so that they can yeah, do things. Right, exactly. But the drugs are not the end answer. Exactly. It's yeah. just it's just not. I've never I've known a lot of people that have suffered from this and anyone that's gotten through it like you yeah. has gotten through it by changing themselves. Yep. And anyone who I've known that has tried to just rely on the drugs. Right. They're, they're unfortunately they're still in the same boat. It doesn't. It's kind of like a, a bucket, and uh, it has a hole in the bottom, and the water is drained out of it. The drugs will help put water back into the bucket, but there's still a hole in the bottom. Like yeah. it's still gonna pour out. Like you can keep doing it, and you will have to do it every day because that's what you're doing. But you're just supplying yourself. You're supplying yourself with a um, you know chemical that you are missing, and that is the clinical treatment. Is that like it sounds like you're missing a lot of 
X, Y, or Z, whatever. Right. So we're going to put that back into your body. That way your body has it, then your body will function normally. But the hole in the bucket is still there and still draining me of whatever it is. Right. I don't know if it's literally doing that, but that's the best way that yeah, I Yeah, no, that's a really good it. analogy. That's how I felt. It was just like, I'm not actually solving the problem, though. I'm just filling the bucket up, but it still has a bunch of holes. So yeah. I need to patch the holes before I can fill the bucket. Yeah. Well, again, you know, thank you so much for, for joining today and, and, and having this conversation with me. Uh, yeah, the book was really significant to me, and it's really cool that you happened to be in town this weekend. I mean, I just finished it, like, Wednesday. Yeah. Oh, um, cool. Nice. And so I, I was planning to do an episode about it by myself, but then when you showed up, it was like, oh, man, well, we've got to talk about that because for so long you've talked about, again, not to be <laughs> punny or something, but the power of habit, you know what I mean? Yeah. Even though you were talking about that book. Right. You you've for a long time talked about that, and so it just it really I've really thought a lot about the conversations we've had through the years about that. Um, that divine and, intervention. Yeah, yeah, that's what we'll call it. <laughs> Fucking Virgin Mary over here, folks. <laughs> um, anyway, yeah. Thanks again, Misha, and uh, yeah, my pleasure.
right, folks. Well, that's going to do it for today's show. Thank you so much again for listening, and thank you, Misha Zarens, for stopping by to, to have this conversation. Uh, again, the book is called The Power of Habit. And uh, remember, you can always email me at walker at the walk show podcast if you've got any questions, comments, anything like that. Uh, you can also follow me on Twitter at the walk show pod, Facebook and Instagram at the walk show uh, and get updates on when episodes are coming out and all that sort of stuff. Uh, again, thanks for listening. Have a great week. <laughs>